Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, putting in new set of windows, new door. It's exciting, but it can be a little intimidating because sometimes you don't know where to begin. Well, let me help you out. First option with Pella is you can schedule a free in-home consultation. That's right, free. You're going to be able to get a Pella expert to sit down with you, look at your home, get a feel for your budget, your wants, your needs, and you're going to be able to get a you know a Phil Jackson, Bill Belichick, Greg McDermott, Scott Frost, Fred Hoiberg s game plan for you and your home. That's one option. Or second option, you can go to their showroom. Showroom's really cool, really cool. Sometimes it helps to actually be able to see the window, you know, see the door, feel it, open it, close it to get a better sense of exactly what you're going to be putting into your home. Any direction you go, just know that Pella can 100% provide window and door solutions to any home. Give them a call, 402-493-1350. That's 493-1350. Check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. All right, on the podcast today, a uh, guy that uh, I've gotten to know uh, over the past year or so. He's Brian Curtis. He's the editor-at-large of The Ringer, and he's the host of the Press Box podcast. Obviously, The Ringer is uh, taking over the world. Bill, Summon, Bill Simmons does an incredible job there uh, with, with all the content, and boy, have they really spread their tentacles to sports, pop culture, all that stuff. And Brian does a really good job covering sports media. And obviously, with the coronavirus and and the pandemic and how much it's impacted sports, it's been fascinating to watch how whether it's newspapers or you know TV sports shows or sports talk radio shows or podcasts have kind of evolved and pivoted during this time. So there's a lot to talk about with Brian as it pertains to sports media over the past handful of months, and then also kind of projecting forward and what sports and sports media are going to look like in this kind of America 2.0 once everything's really reopens and you know eventually sports are going to return but what does all that look like uh, Brian is a is a really sharp uh, really really good guy to to follow and 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 read his stuff uh, absolutely love the press box podcast so without further ado let's get to it man here is my podcast conversation with Brian Curtis of The Ringer well, his name's Brian Curtis. He is the editor-at-large for The Ringer and uh, host of the Press Box podcast. Uh, Brian, you uh, first of all, are you doing okay? How's life? I feel like you should like begin every conversation with, like, how is social distancing, quarantining, everything going okay for you and your world? Yeah, how are you has become kind of a loaded question, hasn't it, during this <laughs> period. I am, I am definitely in the no-complaints category right. of the pandemic right kids at home family safe everybody in my life healthy and you know i'm grateful for that I, yeah you're so right you know if you just say like hey what's new you're like like you know that i love hey man what's new how you been not anymore it's like you really want to know what's new and how i've been i mean it's it's <laughs> how much time you got you know <laughs> exactly so you do a great job covering the sports media and it's interesting you and i spoke 
almost exactly two months ago to the day, you you chat. You, we talked on the phone about how sports media members, radio podcast hosts, TV, etc., would kind of fill the time with no real sports going on. Here we are, two months later, Brian. From a broad sense. Has it been way different than you thought it would be, or has it actually felt more normal than you maybe thought? Meaning, like, when you listen to The Herd or watch First Take, does it kind of feel the same as it always has, or does it feel way different with the coronavirus going on? You know, I think those kind of shows in particular, either sports radio or something that's, let us say, like First Take that's very sports radio-ish, have felt pretty similar in a lot of cases. You know, I think... There are probably enough sports arguments for us to find during this time, whether it's, you know, should we restart the, you know, when should baseball restart? And, you know, is LeBron or MJ the greatest of all time? I think we can kind of create that stuff. The rest of the landscape, if I just like flip on ESPN or one of the channels, it feels probably a little more grab baggy than I thought it would. You know, I didn't think I would be watching old WrestleManias (laughs) and, you know, revisiting Derek Jeter at this time of year. But, you know, I think all things considered, considering there are no games at all, it, yeah, I get normal-ish. I'd probably, I'd probably vote for that. The topic of, and I've heard you, you, you've, kind of, you've talked about this, but the topic of you know, whether it's sports talk radio hosts or TV people or whoever talking about the virus, like in my opinion, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, because obviously a lot of people maybe go to First Take or uh, some sports talk show for an escape from the virus, but then the elephant in the room the entire time is the virus and kind of discussing when sports will return. How, how have you kind of seen all that? Yeah, I think there's no wrong answer to that question, by the way, if you're hosting a radio show or podcast, whatever you do. There are some people that say, look, the, the coronavirus is the only story in America right now, and I have to talk about it all the time. I, I wrote a story about Paul Feinbaum over at ESPN, and basically his show is just about the coronavirus. Then you'll kind of go down the dial a little bit and you'll find a sports host who's like, let's do the uh, top 25 Milwaukee Brewers of all time. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, I'm going to get away as far away from this thing and just be your port in the storm and and the place where you don't want to hear about death. You don't want to hear about people hurting. You just want to get away from it. I don't don't think there's a wrong answer to that. But isn't it revealing about all of us? Right. And kind of the way we think about this business, because I think there are people within sports writing. And again, I'd say like they're great people in all Mm -hmm. these categories, but who see sports as essentially reflecting the rest of society. Like that's their interest in this, you know, and they kind of go out that way. And then there are people say like, Hey, sports is fun. I want to have fun, goofy conversations 90% of the time or about the game or whatever. And, and to me, this period has kind of brought that out of us. Sure. And you kind of go to wherever your natural state is. You know, one of the things that has happened with the the ultimate gift for all sports media members is this Last Dance Michael Jordan documentary. And <laughs> yes. I, I guess from a sports media standpoint, one of my big takeaways is this. Like, so obviously LeBron and Jordan are always pitted against each other, and we can get into that a little bit in, in a couple of minutes here. But there is this idea that Sports media was so much different back when MJ played. MJ didn't have to deal with all the stuff that LeBron deals with. And I guess as I'm watching this, Brian, that's not really entirely true. That I don't know if it was necessarily that 
much different. In fact, you could argue that the media and fame and scrutiny and all that stuff was so intense that it drove MJ to retire in 93. I guess what's been your big takeaway, if you have one, as it pertains to the media and Michael Jordan after watching what is now eight episodes of this documentary? I couldn't agree with you more. You see those locker room shots after a game with MJ and what looks like a thousand reporters surrounding him. And you're like, wait a second. It didn't feel to MJ like he wasn't covered enough, (laughs) like he wasn't scrutinized enough. And I think, you know, he stands at such an interesting point in this whole sports writer media timeline, if you will, because the NBA was just blowing up. Right in the mm-hmm. early 90s. The dream team happened in 92. Michael was huge. Nike commercials were huge. And so what happened was you got so many reporters in that locker room that an intimate relationship between Michael and another reporter was virtually impossible. So, you know, when I hear Michael and, and the documentary kind of imply, you know, look, the media was treating me badly. And that's a little bit why I retired or I kind of got turned off to me. That was going to happen anyway. Right. And it wasn't about gambling and all that stuff that was certainly in the background. But to me, it was there are too many of us. Right. There was so much attention. By the way, this is the best thing that ever happened to Michael Jordan and LeBron James is that (laughs) lots of people are interested in creating content about the NBA. But on the other hand, you were just never going to have that old school relationship anymore. And that was all going away. How do you think the documentary has been executed? I mean, I know I'd love to know behind the scenes just how fast they had to kind of get this thing produced so it could come out. You know, I mean, it was was set to initially debut in June. I mean, so I'd imagine there were a lot of aspects of of this that had to get rushed, but I'd imagine all the interviews and all all that sorts of stuff were finished because it's been interesting to hear some, there's some people like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then there's some people that have kind of criticized the documentary a little bit with maybe how it's constructed or it's slant or however you want to phrase it. How do you, how have you seen all that with this last dance documentary? I have a tremendous amount of respect for the director, Jason Hare, who did the Andre, the giant uh, documentary for the ringer. Uh, Great guy. It does feel to me at times like, you know, if you were painting uh, a painting or a house, I guess, and you put one coat on and in normal times you would have put three coats on if you had a little <laughs> more time. Right. Just the way that timeline, you know, again, I lived all this stuff. Right. So it's not like I'm confused, but the way that timeline jumps around to me is often very confusing. And I sort of wonder if they'd had a little more time, if they would have just told the story more in linear fashion or kind of clean that up a little bit um, in terms of criticism. Look, I've watched every single moment of it and and talked about it and debated it. It does strike me a little bit like I'm reading Michael Jordan's memoirs (laughs) to an extent for all the the greatness that is because we're hearing MJ's voice, right? We're hearing him talk. We're hearing his stuff. But also that certain issues kind of get like snipped off a little bit and and you don't quite go all the way into it because kind of MJ has had the final say and that's all he was, you know, wants to say about a particular topic, whatever that topic is. So that's kind of how I, 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 you know, to me, am I watching a great all-time sports documentary? I don't think so. I don't think it's in that category. Am I watching something that is just wildly interesting and, and to talk about second to second? Sure. Absolutely. What is it? in your opinion, about the media's obsession with LeBron versus MJ? Because we kind of don't do this in any other sport or really any other form of entertainment. No one has, 
and maybe I'm listening to the wrong thing. I mean, do people just come to blows with each other arguing about the Beatles versus Aerosmith or, you know what I mean? Like you just, it's just amazing how these two athletes have just risen to this point where it is just, I mean, Brian, we're going on almost 10 years of the same conversations. (laughs) Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, To answer your question, a couple of things. One is I think the participants, at least MJ, actually care about this argument, mm-hmm. which is part of what feeds it, right? We heard that MJ said yes to this doc as soon as LeBron James won his last title. And that was kind of MJ's impetus to go, oh, oh time for me to remind people <laughs> that I really was the greatest of all time. So I guess if he cares about it, you know, we're allowed to care about it. But, you know, to me, it's it's all kinds of things, right? Like, I actually don't care about the argument all that much. I love watching MJ play. I love watching LeBron play. Like, you know, yes. I don't I don't need to solve that question. But it's interesting in the sense that it's generational, right? Mm-hmm. You know, all of us people who remember the 90s are suddenly kind of defending our childhoods in a way or our teenage years because we're going, hey, hey, youngster, you know, yeah. you didn't see Michael Jordan in his prime. I saw Michael Jordan. So I – to me, there's a little bit of that defensive aspect of it. Um, you know, and it's also, I just think for whatever reason, NBA media, which is to say Twitter, talk shows, all that, it really, there's a very mono on mono aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. People really get down on players torching other players. <laughs> on social media. <laughs> You're right. And what is, what is Michael Jordan, if not him, you know, dragging Gary Payton, right? Mm-hmm. Jerry Krause, all these guys we've seen in the dock. And so I think it just kind of lines up with the way we think about the NBA anyway, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. I will say this. I, I don't, the one topic that has been born out of this that I just don't quite get is this obsession about Michael Jordan and what he would average in today's NBA. <laughs> like, I don't know. And some of these things, like, what are we even talking about? You're like, he would, okay, if there's four more possessions, I, I have him at 44.2 points per game. I just, I don't, that's one element of the conversation that I just, I don't know. I'm a basketball lover and I don't really even, I don't have a strong thought and I don't care to really hear what people think about that. Yeah, I just until we invent a time machine and we right. go, you know, rescue twenty-eight-year-old Michael Jordan. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're really going to solve <laughs> that question. All right, Brian, I have a deep thought, so kind of bear with me here. Okay. Um, so you know, sports are kind of positioned or categorized as a distraction or entertainment to people, but over the course of time, I do find it interesting how essential it's become for so many people places and even like in things like so many people and things are tied to sports and initially when the virus broke and we and and sports were kind of canceled it was kind of positioned like well you know that's too bad I enjoyed watching sports I guess we don't have that distraction but the reality is it's way more than that like if we don't have college football Brian it's Armageddon for some of these athletic departments it's Armageddon for even some universities or I even think in a, a city that I live in, I live in Lincoln, Nebraska. Brian, the whole city is in trouble if there isn't a Nebraska football season. If there isn't seven, eight home games, there are businesses, hotels, restaurants, bars that are in big, big trouble. So my question is, like, how did we get to this point where so many things, so many people, so many places have hitched their livelihoods to football? And if one season, just one season, doesn't happen, it's kind of Armageddon for a lot of people. Man, I think you just hit the nail on the head. Um, 
it's the economic impact that we didn't understand when we were watching all these games, right? We knew, we knew Bud Light was paying a ton of money to get the commercial. Right. And, you know, we knew like Joe Buck was making a lot of money or Chris Fowler or Herbie or whoever it is. But we didn't understand, I don't think, the downstream impacts, right? We didn't understand that that roadway in in Lincoln was filled up six times a fall yep. and counted on that money. Right. And that they jacked up the rates like 50% or 100% that <laughs> weekend. Right. We didn't understand that the guys at the newspaper covering Nebraska would be impacted. Right. We didn't understand the guy at the rival site. We didn't understand. There's just so many downstream economic aspects of this that I think we're just getting our minds around. Right. And when we see all these media furloughs, layoffs all this stuff and again you're right it's just it's been two months right Right. this has not been three years of no sports right this is two months and all of a sudden everybody goes oh oh uh oh so to your point i think sports was so wonderful so distracting so all-consuming we all dove in it probably we're now revealing um covered up some aspects of the economy of the media of restaurants of hotels that were teetering anyway right and sports was maybe making those businesses seem a little more economically feasible than they were right and now all that's being stripped away we're all kind of collectively going "Uh uh-oh what do we do now hey guys quick break to talk to you guys about Pella windows and doors and i i want to Make sure that you guys understand that Pella Windows of Omaha and Lincoln, they're following CDC guidelines uh, during this coronavirus situation. They can safely serve any of your window and door needs in the showroom or in your home. All the employees at Pella and the customers are completing a COVID-19 questionnaire as provided by the CDC prior to entering the showroom, entering the office, and uh, any uh, potential customer's home and all the employees are required to self-quarantine for a recommended 14 days if uh, that individual comes into contact with someone who's tested positive if they traveled anywhere outside of the omaha lincoln area bottom line they are taking all the necessary precautions to make sure that they are safe and you are safe so you can safely move forward with your window and door needs. And uh, on top of all that, as a result of all this stuff with the coronavirus, uh, Pella is offering temporary special financing options. They are now available. So and now is the time to take advantage of these special rates and uh, put that value back into your home, and you have that peace of mind knowing that all the necessary safety uh, protocol and precautions have been uh, put into place by Pella, so you know the whole time you can feel safe. Give Pella a call, 402-493-1350, or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Yeah, you know, I mean, because you think about it, sports... While they are a distraction from real life, but the reality is the games were distracting us from how financially leveraged so many people were to it. You know, like it's it's incredible. Like you said, I mean, in in the grand scheme of things, it's been two months, and I know a lot of the writers at the Lincoln Journal Star here in Lincoln have been furloughed. A lot of the writers at the Omaha World Herald just down there furloughed. Like people are already talking about if the, you know if there isn't a season, it's it's 
it's going to be a disaster. And so maybe that's you, because I don't know how you felt like, I remember talking to you and thinking, you know, life without sports, it was almost as if like, you know, when you check into a hotel room and you're like, Oh, do they have HBO? Oh, they don't have HBO. And you kind of go, Oh, well, I'll just watch Showtime or something like that. You know, you kind of move like, it was like this idea of, Oh, we're not going to have the NBA on at night. So I guess we'll just have to watch something else. And it's like, it's way deeper than that right now. Yes, it's 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 less replaceable than maybe we ever thought it would be in our lives. Right. I can't watch, uh, you know, the latest HBO show tonight. Right. I can't watch billions tonight on Showtime. OK, I'll watch that on my phone tomorrow afternoon. Yes. You know, when I'm on the plane or whatever. It doesn't work like that in <laughs> sports and all these. And, and I think that's why you see the desperation in all these leagues. Right. We, we got to get back in Vegas. We got to get back, uh, you know, playing home games against uh, your division. We're going to take away the DH. Yeah, we're going to put the DH, excuse me, in all the leagues. Yeah. I mean, and and you just can't as much as we try with the Jordan documentary, with old games, with Top Chef, whatever, whatever we're trying to replace <laughs> sports with in our life. It doesn't work on that deep economic level. No. It can work day to day, but it doesn't replace the money. You know, it doesn't replace the job. And man, that's what we're faced with right now. So uh, three more things. I'll let you run. I, I want you to look into your, and, and I realize like the, the silly thing about what we're about to get into is like, it changes greatly week to week, month to month on information and where we're at with things, but try to look into your Brian Curtis crystal ball. And does the NBA return? It, I, I can't tell like, uh, Every day I, I check into Twitter and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's coming back. And then there are times I'm like, no way it's coming back. What do you think? Do we think the NBA makes a return and we see the playoffs? Yeah. I'd, so my my bet in the crystal ball is cloudy, like you said. Yep. But to me, the economic imperative for these leagues like the NBA to return is so overwhelming that they will at least try. Right now, maybe, you know, they have some horrible medical setback and everybody goes, oh, that's it. We can't do this. Right. It's just too complicated. I think they will try. I, I firmly believe that. What's your best guess at college football and even college basketball? Like, do you think it's going to be a deal where people – my guess is no fans in the stands, which is oh. more big a bigger impact than I maybe even realize for a lot of universities' revenue streams. But my guess is – I mean, the, but the big revenue stream is the TV money. So I think that they need to create a TV product. But I, I heard, like, Creighton's athletic director had an idea of – having geographical partners for one year. So his idea was let's have Big East basketball and the and some Big Ten schools kind of partner up so we're not having to fly Creighton all the way to New York or Nebraska to Rutgers so you can kind of do things in your geographical footprint. Like, do you see it being like a deal where people kind of make it work for a year with like throwing together some schedule so they can put a television product on? Or like how do you see college football and college basketball? That really does sound old school, doesn't it? We're yes. Making a, making a call to the AD 35 <laughs> miles down the road. Can we get a football game together? Can we, did you got play our kids in basketball this weekend? I love it. Um, you know, it, it's the hardest one, right, in a way, college sports, because there are so many stakeholders. And this idea, we just saw that with the California schools this week, that you may not have students in the fall, or at least as many students. So are you really going to be playing games? I mean, to, to me, that 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 is the biggest puzzle of this. Again, there are economic imperatives. You know, can we have the spring season like Kirk Herbstreit's been talking about, you know, on ESPN, yep. Chris Fowler, those guys? Um, again, I would bet it happens in some form if it's just conference play. 
uh, if it's just something like that where we, we see a really stripped down version. But yeah, I guess I would vote for stripped down, maybe very regional, but we do see something resembling college football and basketball at some point over the next, say, nine months. So you wrote a really interesting story. I think it went up yesterday. Uh, and it's titled Going, Going, Gone, The Return of Remote Sports Broadcast. And I got to tell you, for someone whose main job is co- as a college basketball analyst for Fox, this terrifies yes. me. This is like the, you know, we talk about the Armageddon for this stuff. Like, this is the thing that really, really, really scares me. How, you know, for people that don't know, I mean, what it would be would, you know, where it'd be uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are in a studio in Los Angeles calling uh, the Green Bay New York game and that's taking place in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh how real do you think this is based on a lot of the conversations you had? I know you talked to Brad Zagger at Fox. And do you think this could be just a temporary thing or could it be something that sticks? So there's two aspects to it, right? One is what do we do over the next couple of months when the coronavirus is still very much a thing? So Fox has a NASCAR race this weekend and the announcers are not going to be at the track. They're essentially going to be watching TV like you and I are and calling the game off television. That's going to clearly be the case over the next several months. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and even if we have an exception with Joe and Troy get sent to Green Bay. Right. I think there's going to be a lot of times where the network say, you know what, let's just send as few people as we can just to be safe. OK, so that's number, aspect number one. Here's aspect number two. There's all this one. We're going to go into a recession if we haven't already. There's going to be cost cutting at these networks. Right. Because, again, we've just lost months and months of revenue. So that's part of it. But the other thing is. What if these broadcasts sound pretty good? Yes. Right. What if the remote broadcast sounds 85, 90% as good as the live broadcast? There is going to be, and Brad Zager Fox told me this at ESPN has said similar things. There's going to be this idea of, well, why do we need to send announcers to the games anyway? And by the way, I'd say the exact same thing about the print aspect of this. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, you watch the uh, Nebraska baseball game on on the feed on on Facebook on the Nebraska site or whatever it is. Why do we need to send you on the road to that game next year? Right. Because you wrote a pretty good piece about it. Now you didn't have the locker room, you didn't have the interviews, all that stuff, but you wrote a you did a pretty good job. And I just think as soon as you give everybody an opening to try to experiment. They're going to at least think about it. No question. And and that could be the you know again and again it's to me it's a compliment to people like you because you guys are going to make this sound good. You guys are going to do as well as you can without sitting there courtside and having the kids you know leaning over and screaming into your ear. <laughs> you know. And by the way, I absolutely prefer that we all be there right. as soon as it's safe. Announcer, writer, all that stuff. But to me, it's the skill of the people that will then open the door just a little bit for the TV networks to say, well, what, what if we try this? What if, what if we don't send them? Yeah. I mean, that's right. And you, you had a I urge everybody to go read the piece. Cause there are some good quotes from, you know, whether it's, you know, Fran Fraschilla or, or people like that, like, cause everyone's going to argue it from their perspective. Like me being, I understand. And, and a lot of the guys you talk to, like there, there, you you do lose a little something if you're not courtside and you don't talk and see what things look like in shoot around, and you don't maybe see an interaction between two players that happen off camera, or see the body language of a coach during a timeout or whatever. That 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 you, there is some of that that you lose or get a feel of the atmosphere or the physicality. Some things that don't necessarily come across on television. But the fundamental question is: Does the broadcast suffer enough to the average viewer? 
that it would offset whatever cost cuts would be on the bottom line for some of these networks. And I got to tell you, that's a that's a road that when I saw even your headline, Brian, I went, oh, no. Oh, no. Please, no. Don't tell me this is going to be a thing. No, right. And, and, and the problem is it's subtle, right? You know, if I had to explain to my boss at the ringer why I needed to fly to Dallas to go to the Mavericks game because I was writing a piece about the Mavericks, you know, that didn't rely on, say, like an exclusive sit down with Luka Doncic, it would be subtle. You know, I'd be yeah. like, well, I'm going to watch him on the bench. I'm going to get a couple of little notes for the third paragraph and I maybe I can get to, you know, and 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 I think, you know, some of the time that editor, hopefully not my editor at the ringer, but that hypothetical editor <laughs> goes, yeah, what really nice. can't we just not do that? So it's hard and it's subtle. And again, we've had one model of broadcasting for decades yep. now. Yep. And this to me, again, just opens that door a little bit for everybody to rethink things. And like I said, I'm rooting for everybody to still go. Well, Brian, I would retweet your story, but I don't want to give anybody else any ideas. So I guess I'll just talk about <laughs> just stay away. Just stay- I, know, I noticed there was a lot of stay away. From the <laughs> you know, it's not touching that one. I'm not touching it. I love it. He's Brian Curtis, editor at large of The Ringer. Uh, the Press Box uh, podcast is fantastic. Make sure you go subscribe, listen to it. Everybody does great things at The Ringer. Brian, awesome stuff as always, man. Let's do it again down the road. You got it. Always great to talk to you, Nick. All right. My thanks to Pella Windows and Doors. If you're thinking about a new window or a new front door, now is the perfect time. Give Pella a call at 402-493-1350 or check them out online at Pella Omaha. We will see you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. A Parkville Media Production.